family. And the, the seminar is to help us see what the Word of God has to say about that and how we can, as it were, be built, uh, bridge builders. And if there is a conflict between us and another individual or other individuals where we can trust God to enable us to resolve that conflict and be able to be reconciled not only to the other person, but to the Lord. And I'm sure all of us, to one extent or another, have had or maybe even do have conflict uh, in our lives with someone else. And I know that uh, what we will be sharing on April 26th, uh, they are truths that uh, Hope and I haven't just had training in that. Uh, we have had that, but uh, more so, it is seeing how the principles and applying these principles to our lives can really uh, bring peace and help us to glorify God in the process. So uh, if you're debating about whether to come or not, I want to encourage you to come. We'll have a, a flyer in the bulletin next week with a little more details about it. But uh, just pencil it in. And we do have a sign-up sheet if you haven't signed up yet but are considering it. Love to have you come. And there is no charge. Uh, this is something that we as a church uh, family want to provide for those of our church family. So uh, just know that it would be time well spent. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here together. We thank you for what we're studying together from Philippians. And we pray that as we consider the truths that you have for us this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, teach us, and help us to respond with an obedient heart and an obedient attitude of submission to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Philippians chapter 2. And you will also find in your bulletin an insert for this morning's message. We're going to review very quickly what we looked at last week and even a little before then, and then move right into what we have for today. We're looking at turning toward joy, discovering a joy that circumstances cannot change, in chapter 1 of Philippians, we have looked at the joy of community, the joy of adversity, and the joy of integrity. And in Philippians chapter 2, we are looking at the joy of unity. Last week, we looked together at the joy of unity from verse 1. And this morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4 and continue and conclude our consideration of the joy of unity. In verse 1, last week, we noted these words. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers, and he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and then he continues... Now, from verse 1, last week, we looked at the reasons for Christian unity. And what we noted last week, from verse 1, that the reasons for Christian unity are the experience of Christ's life, 
the example of Christ's love, the encouragement of Christ's body, and the expression of Christ's compassion. Now, having set forth the reasons for Christian unity, Paul proceeds to set forth the requirements for Christian unity in verses 2 through 4, which I'd like to read this time. Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Requirement number one for unity, for Christian unity, from verse 2 is harmony. Harmony. Paul writes, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Christian unity is the result of harmony. And the and harmony is the result of being, Paul says here, one in mind. Being one in mind, embracing the same biblical truths. It's like uh, clocks that click or tick or strike all in the same rhythm. Now that doesn't mean we all have to be automatons and look like each other and act like each other. Aren't you glad of that? And talk like each other. But it talks about being one in mind. And when we think of being one in mind, we, we have to look and see what, what exactly does that mean. Now there is to be, and the Word of God promotes and encourages diversity with unity. And when Paul speaks of being one in mind here, he is speaking of being one in mind, of being united in the fundamental truths of the Word of God. We're speaking about things that are not negotiable. And there are certain truths in the Word of God which are non-negotiable. Now, there are other truths that... You know, one very, very godly person can approach the Word of God and come up with a little different um, understanding of the same truth. And there are an example of this, although I, I, I really embrace this myself uh, very personally. Uh, let's just call it the time of Christ's return as far as future events go, um, just for clarification, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back before the tribulation. And theologically, that's called pre-tribulational rapture. And then there are some who are mid-tribulationalists and some who are post-tribulationalists. In other words, they believe that Jesus Christ is going to uh, come subsequent to the, uh, the, the time of tribulation here on planet Earth, <clears throat> excuse me, planet Earth. Well, there, there can be a little bit of difference in certain truths. But there are other truths that we cannot negotiate them. For example, the Word of God. The Word of God being the truth from God 
It's not man's thoughts. It is God's. And within the Word of God, there, the Bible has a lot to say about sin. We need to understand what the Bible says about sin and salvation and the nature of Jesus Christ and the things that he did, such as his coming to earth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his return. These things are non-negotiables. We need to believe the virgin birth if we are going to understand the importance of salvation. We need to understand that Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead if we are going to be truly understanding the gospel message. And so there are certain things that are non-negotiables, but there are other things that we can and should give a little leeway to one another because we may have a little different slant on our understanding of it. And so Paul is speaking here about being one in mind. One in mind when it comes to the foundational and fundamental truths of the Word of God. And then he speaks of being one in heart, possessing the same love. Now, we don't have to love the same things, and you'll be very glad about this, and maybe I shouldn't even be using the word love here, but, um, you know, I really, really like the New York Yankees baseball team. Now, some of you are saying, never, never in a hundred years. And that's good. You guys are Tigers fans for the most part. And that's good. We can, we can like different things and still be one in heart. Um, as most of you know, I am a very loyal New York football Giants fan. Well, you guys, for the most part, are loyal to your Lions. And, and that's okay. That's great. And now we're right in the middle of what most of you may be aware of March Madness, uh, NCAA basketball, college basketball, and Michigan's looking really good. Syracuse University, not looking real good right now. But we may play each other again this year. Wouldn't that be neat? Hey, party time. But you know, we had a great party last year, and Hope and I were the only ones there who were rooting for SU, and we were okay with the fact that you beat us and went to the finals. That was great. You know, it's not talking about stuff like that, but it's talking about being one in heart and possessing the same love when it comes to the love of God and having the love of God flowing not only in to our lives, but out of our lives. So Paul is speaking of being one in mind. And you know, being one in mind and being one in heart are very closely related. When we understand the precious truths of the Word of God, we're going to love God, and we're going to love what He does in our lives and through our lives. And He's going, that love is going to be seen in our relationship to one another. Then Paul speaks of being one in spirit. That's related to being of one accord, having joint souls, living in harmony with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The things that unite us, I, I read this some time back, the things that unite us are much more numerous than the things that could divide us. Uh, a fellow that was at Camp Selah when we were there 
for, um, uh, it was like a college age retreat when we spoke there back, was that in October, Hope? Um, a couple of those kids keep in touch with us now. It's pretty neat just to go back and forth on Facebook with them once in a while. One of the guys, his name is Danny, he, he put something on Facebook yes, uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and, and he said something about putting up barriers and putting up fences uh, with people where we believe almost everything alike, but we have a little bit of differences. And he, and he just kind of put a question, why does that have to be? Well, I had already prepared a children's story, so I sent him a little message. We need to build bridges with those with whom we are very, very similar in the truths of the Word of God and not allow us to put up fences where there are little differences and differences that, you know, in light of eternity, really aren't going to... Um, amount to a hill of beans. He wrote back to me and he liked what I'd said. But it wasn't original with me. It was from the children's story. So, But you know, we, we are to be one in spirit and not look for the things that could divide us. But focus on the things that can unite us. And there are many. And then Paul talks here about being one in purpose. One in purpose, and our purpose, whether speaking on an individual level or speaking on a church-wide level, our purpose is to glorify God. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I, I really enjoy music. Um, I played instruments growing up. I, I tried to play the piano. There were just too many keys, you know. With a trumpet, there's only three valves. That, that's a little easier. But piano was always a little hard for me, and uh, I never got too far with that. But you know, when you think of instrumental music and vocal music, when you hear a group sing in unison, it's kind of pretty. But man, I like the harmony. Don't you? You know, four-part harmony, uh, I had the privilege of singing in a quartet uh, before we came out here, and I really enjoyed that four-part harmony that we had. There were some songs that we'd start out in unison and we'd break off into four parts, and, and the unison was okay, as long as you sang in unison. Uh, but the harmony, there's something really pretty about it. And so... When, when people come through our doors or they see us out and about and know we're part of this church family, you, you know how, how much it resonates with people when they see we're one and that we live in harmony? That's big. And Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you live in unity, not unison, where everything's the same, but you live in unity, and as a result, you live in harmony. And so harmony is requirement number one for Christian unity. Secondly, requirement number two is humility, according to verse three. 
Paul writes, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. You know, humility is one of those words that's kind of difficult to define. But you know it when it's present. And you know it when it is not present. And humility is critical if we are going to have genuine Christian uh, unity with one another. And Paul uses the word here, each. You see that word? Each. Let each of you. And that's a reminder that we have a personal responsibility for the unity of the body. If we do not take ownership of our own attitudes, the unity of the body will be negatively affected. And that's why Paul says to these Philippian believers, let each of you each of us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. This is a warning against being contentious or competitive or self-centered or having a self-serving spirit. And this attitude, uh, the opposite of humility, is the attitude that is often behind many squabbles and schisms and divisions and fights and quarrels that go on, can go on, within a church family or within the body of Christ. And Paul tells us that there is no place for this attitude. When we lived back in central New York, <clears throat> uh, our church, Seneca, was a part of a fellowship of churches. It wasn't a denomination. It was an independent uh, church, just like Seneca here. But we fellowshiped with a group that was called the, the CB Mission to the Northeast. And I was asked to head up uh, a monthly meeting for the pastors of the Finger Lake region of central New York. And there were 11 or 12 of us. And you know, as hard as I tried, I mean personal conversations, visits, emails, writing, calling, you name it these pastors would not come out for a month, uh, uh, one day a month, for a time of fellowship together. And the attitude, sometimes expressed, and other times very clearly understood, I don't have time for this, I don't need this. Well, I, I hesitate to tell you how many times those pastors, those who didn't have time or didn't need it, how many times they fell into sinful relationships. Because they were like an island out there, not needing anyone, not wanting anyone. I'm just going to build my own empire here. And I don't need you or anyone else. That's a bad way to be. And finally, I, I spoke with the director of, of our fellowship, and I said, you know, th th this isn't working. These people really do not want to get together. And it was a real shame. It was a shame. Out of 11, 12 pastors and churches in the area, no time. Not important. And the bottom line was, I'm only looking out for my own little kingdom that I'm building here. I don't need anyone else. And we need to be careful of that as individuals. And we need to be careful about that as a church. 
you know what can happen, and I can speak knowledgeably of this because I've been there, uh, independent churches such as ours, which is not a part of a denomination or not a part of a fellowship, we, we can become very isolated by choice and not fellowship with other churches because maybe uh, they have this little bit of difference from us. We need to be careful of that. There are some very good churches in this area. And if I were remaining here and uh, would have had the time to develop this by remaining here, I would have worked on having uh, a fellowship of, of pastors meet together here, because they don't. I've met with them, I've talked with them, and you know, they meet once a year, and that's to prepare for the um, Good Friday service. And I'm not being critical of that, I'm just telling you that's how it is. But I think uh, your next pastor, it would, no, I'll talk to him about this. It would serve him and the other churches in this area well to begin to have fellowship together. It will be important. Be important for him, for the other pastors, and for the different churches as well. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 8, <clears throat> be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And people that Satan can devour and that sin can devour are people who are proud and are not humble before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I, I believe I've shared with you how when we were over in Spain, uh, one, one day we took our girls and went to a, a wild animal safari not too far from Barcelona. And we were having a great time until one of the elephants put his trunk through the wing and scared the liver out of hope. And hope to this day, I don't know how she did it. Man, she jumped right over the middle console and a, and a stick that, that stood up pretty high. It wasn't real down close to the floor. She jumped right over that thing and was in my lap. And that, and that elephant was just vacuuming our car for us. And, and, and then as we continued through the safari, we saw a sign about lions. And you could see them out there. And they're just laying there and look like they don't see a thing. And they said, do not get out of the car. These animals are dangerous. So obviously we obeyed that. But about a week later, a German tourist did not obey it. He got out to get a closer shot. And before he could get back to the car, those lions had pounced on him and killed him. That's how Satan is. He can trick us. He can make it look like he's not even at all interested in what's going on here. Believe me, he is. When God is present and God is working, the Satan does not sit back and just there like a dozing lion. He's very aware of what's going on. And so Paul tells us here, with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now when you think of personages in the word of God, obviously at the top of the list we have our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you think of other people in the Word of God, who, who are some of the people that, as you look at them, you say, man, there's a man or a woman of God? Go ahead. Paul. Good. 
David, Elisha, Daniel, Esther, Noah, Abraham, Moses. Good. These are all top, top quality people, and there are many more we could name. You know, I think of Paul. Paul was a, a man who was totally, totally committed to Jesus Christ. Let me read you what he said about himself. Okay? When he was on his third missionary journey, we read this in 1 Corinthians 15.9. He says, I am the least of the apostles. The least of the apostles. When he was imprisoned in Rome the first time, he wrote this in Ephesians 3.8. I am the very least of all saints. First of all, earlier on in his life, I am the least of the apostles. A little later on in his life, I am the least of all the saints. Toward the close of his life, listen to what he says. 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. There's humility. There's a man of God who had great humility. Least of the apostles, least of the saints, I am the worst sinner that's ever walked the face of the earth. And that was not false piety. That was genuine humility on the part of Paul. I recently read about a well-known businessman, and he really demonstrates the ugliness of a boastful, proud, arrogant spirit. And he did this in a public service. I'm just going to read what he says because it's a lot better than trying to paraphrase it. As a matter of courtesy, he was asked to bring a word of greeting. Unfortunately, he got rather carried away in the process and went on to tell the congregation about the wonderful things he had done for the Lord. I have a large house, a fine family, a successful business, and a good reputation. I have enough money to do whatever I want, and I am able to support some Christian ministries very generously, and many organizations want me to be their director. I have health and almost unlimited opportunities. Most people would love to change places with me. What more could God give me? As he paused for effect, a voice shouted from the back of the auditorium, how about a good dose of humility? You know, this guy thought of a lot of himself, and he, he, and he failed to understand. Everything we have is from God. You know, even people who are wealthy, how are they wealthy? Well, maybe they've inherited it. Maybe because God has given them good health to be able to work. Every, everything comes back to God. Everything. All we have is from God. If we are to enjoy the joy of unity within our church family, 
the attitude of each and every one of us will need to be the attitude of genuine humility. Requirement number three for Christian unity, verse four, is helpfulness. Paul writes, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We need to look for ways to reach out to others. Let's stop and think about our attitude when we came to Seneca Community Church this morning, okay? Or perhaps on another occasion. How many times may we be tempted to think, okay, Sunday morning, I wonder how the time of fellowship together, the hospitality, I wonder what I'll get out of that this morning. Or if I go to Sunday school, I wonder how Sunday school will help me. And I wonder how many people will reach out to and help me. What's in it for me today? I wonder if Pastor Len will have anything to say that will help me. See the focus? Me. What can I get out of being in church today? What will be good for me? You know, when we come with that attitude, and I, I've done it, when we come with that attitude, sometimes, maybe more times than not, we will return home disappointed. Because, well, during hospitality time, there wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted this, and that wasn't there. The only days that will not happen is when Deb provides it for us. <coughs> <laughs> now, in Sunday school, man, and I'll, I'll go back to when I was teaching Sunday school. Man, that was really boring this morning. Len didn't say anything this morning that was worth listening to. And then morning worship. Come to morning worship. Man. That time Len had to sing with the praise team, man, they were, they were really bad. I hope, hope the other guys are back soon. That wasn't a very good time of worship. And you could tell that Len being a part of the praise team that morning really messed up his message because he was putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable all the time and, and, and just wasn't, he just wasn't communicating. And then, you know, as I walked out, everybody pretty much gone. And so I was kind of the last one out. Nobody really talked to me. It was really not a very good day. The whole problem with that is that the focus is on me. What am I getting out of it? Now let's turn it around a little bit. How about if we get up on a Sunday morning, that alarm woke us up, and we're ready to come, and we come, and we 
when, and we pray to the Lord and we seek his heart and we say, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I serve others today, Lord? Help me to be attentive to the needs of others around me. Not thinking about myself, but thinking about the needs of those around me. If I see somebody looks a little discouraged, to go there and to talk to that person. See if I can not only talk to, but just put my arm around him or her and pray right there. And be attentive to the needs of others. What can I do to benefit the spiritual growth of others in my church family this morning? What can I do to help someone else today? You know what? We come with that heart and that attitude. We will never return home disappointed. Even though the Sunday school class is, is not as good as maybe it should be, and maybe the hospitality time wasn't as good as it might be, and maybe the praise team wasn't as good as they ought to be, or the message was subpar. You know, we come with the heart of a servant. We'll never return home disappointed. We will have been blessed, and we will have blessed others in the process. can see how important it is to have and meet these requirements for Christian unity. Harmony, humility, helpfulness. In the children's story, I, I shared about Jesus saying that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The previous verse, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are, my, you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now that was a command that Jesus Christ gave in the, in the closing hours of his life here on planet Earth with his disciples. That command has not been altered. It has not been changed. When I was in the military, especially in basic training, uh, we had uh, n several times where we had to pull guard duty. Guard duty was rough. It was rough. Because you work your normal hours during the day, and whatever your job is takes you into the night, whatever it might be. But on top of that, we would have guard duty. And you would go to a barracks where all the people who were on guard duty that night would be. And you're all there in one, one big room. And you're given different shifts. And it was usually every two hours you were on shift. So you'd sleep for a couple hours, and then sergeant would come, get you up, and you sleep in your clothes, and... And, and you go. 
and you, you pull guard duty for a couple hours, you go back to the barracks, you're there with all the other guards, and you sleep for a couple more hours, and they come and they wake you up again. So you're pulling guard duty pretty much all night. And you know what the, the sergeant on duty would tell us? Your orders remain unchanged. What I told you the first time, because they send you to the same place each time, what I told you the first time remains the same. Your orders remain unchanged. Jesus gave us orders here, and this isn't the only one, but he gave us orders, and those orders remain unchanged. And when we follow his orders, we will experience for his glory and for our good, Christian unity. And to experience Christian unity, as Paul teaches us in these three verses, we must be characterized by harmony, humility, and helpfulness. And it's my prayer that we will do just that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church family. Thank you for everyone who makes up this church family. And Lord, we pray that we would follow the example of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ and that we would see the reasons that you call us to Christian unity. And then, Lord, we pray that we would meet these requirements, that we would be characterized by those things that will enable us to live as one, and in this way bring glory to you, and in this way be effective in reaching out to others. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, at this time, we have time for both praises and prayer requests. <clears throat>